Hello, this is Mike McShane, Director of National Research at EdChoice, and I am coming to you with a new episode of Cool Schools, the podcast where I sit down with interesting and innovative school leaders and talk about their schools. We talk about lessons that they've learned, mistakes that they've made, advice that they might have for someone in a similar situation, and try and dig into the nitty-gritty details of how their schools operate and why they look that way. Today on the podcast, we have Sarah Ranny of Lafayette Prep in St. Louis, Missouri. As many of you know, I am a resident of the great state of Missouri, and so I'd heard about Lafayette Prep and particularly heard about how they got started, where they really started with a group of parents and then brought the school to them, as opposed to sometimes schools coming into areas and trying to convince parents that they should send their kids there. The process of Lafayette Prep was actually sort of in reverse. We dig into that conversation, how that all worked and what the implications for that would be. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Sarah Ranney of Lafayette Prep. So maybe the best place to start is at the beginning. So how did Lafayette Prep get started? Well, Lafayette Preparatory Academy got started because there were people in St. Louis City, a variety of parents and other community members, who were noticing that kids were moving out of the city with their families, of course, after they got to school age. And for this group of people, they were having conversations that I think most of us city parents have, which is where are you going to send your kid to school? and not necessarily feeling like there was something that met what they were looking for. And they, I guess, were a little crazy, is what I often say, knowing them, and decided to see what it started school. So it was really started to meet that mission of a small-town school, but in the middle of St. Louis City, that really reflected the diversity that exists within our city. So now, did the parents recruit you? Like, what did that process look like? Great question. So I actually was not here during our first year. Our current executive director, Susan Marino, was our founder, and she interacted with somebody who was on the committee that was getting started with the the planning process and met them over in Lafayette Square Park, which is actually right across the street from where our school is now, so it's a little bit of kids met there. And her daughter was two or three at the time, and they started talking. Again, this is just seems to happen here in St. Louis City where parents are having these conversations. And she got really interested. She's an educator herself and so joined the committee. And because she is an educator, they asked her specifically to help them find their founding head of school. And so she participated in a bunch of interviews, and they were really struggling to figure out who could take this on. Because starting a school is very different than being a typical principal. You know, you're really having to be a builder. And that's quite different than coming into an existing program. And they weren't finding anybody that they were particularly interested in. The committee asked Susan if she would consider applying. Um, So she ended up withdrawing from the committee and applied herself. And they did hire her. And so she was our founder and and did the planning year in 2012. And I came on to LPA in 2014, um, right after we finished our first year of school, as our director of curriculum and instruction. And I originally got connected with the school because two teachers that I had known from a previous employer were two of our founding teachers. 
and asked me to come visit and give them some coaching and some advice and then uh, hooked me and said, we have a job. They'd be great for you. You should apply. And so I did. And here we are. It's been five years. Well, that's really interesting. And I think it's a, a bit of a different story than we often hear with charter schools. It wasn't a, an outside organization that came into St. Louis seeing the opportunity or, or underserved kids. It wasn't necessarily a civic leader, so a mayor or a community leader. It was actually a really organic group of parents who got together. Could you, I mean, this is not something that you hear about every day. Could you tell me a little bit about your parent community that you have at the school? So our parents are very much a a part of building LPA, and it is an organic process, and it is really this idea of how do we work as a community to raise children, that whole saying of it takes a village to raise a child. And so it started with parents, and our parents are still very active and involved, and they're part of our decision makers. And with 300 students at this point, you know, we have a wide range of opinions about what is best for kids. But I think because we engage with each other and we have these debates as a community, that ultimately we're able to do what's best for kids. One of the choices we make as a school is we don't offer public transportation. And that means that our parents are at our school twice a day. It also means that they are utilizing each other for carpools. And that type of community is formed in really like special and organic ways because of some of the choices we've made as a school. And being able to see a child's parent is really valuable. And so our parents are part of the decision makers in our school. And I've never worked anywhere like it where there's really this kind of partnership. So when we think about the actual school and how it operates or your typical school day, maybe from the perspective of a student, can you maybe talk through if you have a kind of a pedagogical philosophy or, or, or what the school actually looks like from the user perspective? Sure. So we utilize a project-based learning model, and we also think about the education of the whole child. So we think, you know, work hard and play hard, and being able to develop strong schema for kids, and so giving them the information that they need. Like kids memorizing multiplication facts ultimately allows you to access much more complicated math. So we want to provide the opportunity for kids to do that because of what it opens up. But then we want to give kids the opportunity to really explore and understand what it is that they're learning. So when we're thinking about creating learning opportunities for kids, as a public school, there are state standards. So a kindergartner is going to need to learn these things. A second grader is going to need to learn these things and so forth. But memorizing a bunch of facts is not going to stick with a kid. And so if kids in second grade are learning about the regions of the United States and they are understanding how landforms form and how in an ecosystem, the food chain works. So giving them the base understanding of the system of the food chain, but then also allowing them the opportunity to see it in real life. So letting them go out to, we utilize a partnership with the Litzinger Road Ecology Center. And so our kids will go there three times a year and see the food chain in action in an environment that is replicating what the Midwest actually looks like. And then actually being able to design their own experiments with that. And one of the questions some of our parents ask are, you know, like, do you have gardens and allow kids to plant food? And, you know, the, the food to table, the planting to table thing is something that a lot of schools are doing now. And I always say, well, we do allow our kids to explore with planting, et cetera. But 
they're not necessarily going to eat what they grow because sometimes their kids have the question of, well, like, why do plants actually grow the way that they do? And so first grade studies the plant cycle. And so some of our kids will plant things, but they think that they can get it to grow if they plant it in rocks and and water with Kool-Aid instead. <laughs> and so they they actually engage in these kinds of experiments. And rather than being told, you know, well, actually, that probably isn't going to work, and here's why, we give them the information about this is how the plant cycle works, and then give them the time and space to be able to experiment with it. And kids are naturally creative, and you want to be able to allow them to have those opportunities to, to develop deep knowledge, but also provide them the skills that they need in terms of, you know, we're going to memorize our multiplication facts because you're going to be able to do math a lot faster and, and a lot more complicated steps. So how do you measure success? How do you know that what you're doing is working? That's actually something that we're really struggling with as a community because there are so many ways to measure success. And so we look at standardized tests, which is one piece. You know, you think about a big bubble of what you're looking at for kids' success. And I think really nationally, we've really struggled as a community. I always go back to community, but sure. as a country, we've struggled with how are we showing what kids are learning. And so we have some internal things that we do in terms of like observation and rubrics. And we also have developed, we call the LPA way. So on our website, we have them listed as the core competencies. And so we have these goals for what we want kids to embody when they leave us. You know, we want them to be leaders and teammates and artists. And how do we develop a program that sets kids up to be these things? And so our team has worked really hard to sort of develop this matrix where we're like, okay, if we are seeing leadership in kindergarten, it might look like this in this setting, or it might look like this in this setting. And then really trying to have both internal and external people in to look for those things to see if we're living up to our mission. So now a lot of people who listen to this podcast are interested in public policy and obviously operating as a public charter school. You have to intersect with the world of public policy perhaps more than some of our private schools do or some of the homeschoolers that we've talked to. So I would be interested to know your read on some of the public policies that oversee your school. Are there policy barriers? Are there rules or regulations that get in the way of what you want to do? Are you able to kind of work easily with your with your authorizer? Are there things that you say like, man, if the state of Missouri could just change this one law, we would love for them to change X. Just your your general kind of look into public policy. I mean, so, you know, my background is definitely not in public policy, but of course I'd interact with it as our school leader. And I think the things that hinder our ability to operate in the way that we would want to, and I've worked for private schools as well, and in some ways it is freeing not to have state and federal regulations mandating what kids should be learning, how and when, and be able to develop that as an educator yourself. So unfunded mandates, dyslexia screening. So this is one of the newest things that the state has required us to do, but then does not provide the financial resources with which to do it. So a school my size, what has taken in order to meet this particular policy is we have taken six staff members at the beginning of the year and then three staff members two more times in the year to run through the requirements of what we're being asked to do to screen for dyslexia. 
And it's not that I'm opposed to screening for dyslexia. I think that it is important for us to do what we can to support students and to catch learning concerns early on. But it's these policies that put burden on educators who are then doing that instead of doing other things, which then maybe if we were doing those other things would have caught it to begin with. And so I think, you know, we have a lot of issues in our state and in our country like that. The way we fund special education is just absolutely ridiculous and completely at disservice of students. You know, it's fascinating that that you bring that up, thinking of as a fellow Missourian. I was reminded of this. I wrote a piece a couple years ago when there was a big hubbub in Jefferson City about passing a law that required um, saying the Pledge of Allegiance every day. And I said, listen, I am all for the Pledge of Allegiance, big supporter. want to be very clear, I am in the supporters column of the Pledge of Allegiance. But what I wish more policymakers understood is that just because you pass a law that says kids need to say the Pledge of Allegiance doesn't mean that it just magically starts happening. What it does is it creates a process by which the State Department of Education has to verify that this is happening and a a reporting mechanism and a checking mechanism. So all of the bureaucracy that gets created in all of these systems. And and I think the point that you raised is an important one, which is no raindrop thinks that it's responsible for the flood. Mm -hmm. So in isolation, each and every one of these things is like, oh, that's perfectly reasonable. We should do it. But we have to remember that School days are a limited amount of time. School years are a limited amount of time. There are only so many adults in the building that are able to do things. And I think that that's a really important thing to explain to policymakers that no one ever goes in and and repeals things. (laughs) No one ever rolls back the previous generation of, of requirements. So these things all start to build up on one another. And you all have to take a lot of time away from actually educating kids to comply with them, which I think is a a very important point, and I'm glad that you shared that. So I want to, if you were to look back, so go back to 2014 when you were just starting as the Director of Curriculum and Instruction and think about your time at Lafayette Prep from then until now, if you could go back and give yourself some advice, what advice would you give yourself? You know, I've listened to some of your podcasts, and I, I felt like you're going to ask me this question. <laughs> you knew it. And, and I still am, am struggling with how many pieces of advice I'd like to give myself <laughs> five years ago um, and, and trying to narrow it down to just one piece. I think, though, that one of the most important pieces of development for myself and how I've grown as a leader was to start asking more questions. And I am a fairly verbose person. I'm not sure if it's coming across in this particular interview, but (laughs) I think it's really important as a leader to share your ideas, but it's also really important to let others share their ideas with you. And if we ask the right question, it helps guide us to a whole new path that maybe you wouldn't have gone down to begin with. And so I've learned that the hard way, and I wish I could go back to Sarah five years ago and be like, Sarah, you just need to start asking questions. Ask more questions. Well, that's, that's great advice. So perhaps we'll close by we just looked backwards. So now we'll look forward. So what does the next year, five years, ten years hold for Lafayette Prep? This is actually a really exciting week to do this interview with you because our board just voted the week before last 
to expand our program. We were going to be a K through eight, and we've just voted to expand through high school. And so we are currently in the works of making that happen as of next year. So beginning July 1, taking on a 9th through 12th grade program. So it's actually a lot of growth and expansion for us, which we're really excited about. And, of course, a little nervous because it is new and change is, is exciting, but also can be challenging. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what that holds. And both as an educator and a parent, my son is a second grader at our school And I love the idea of thinking about what this means for our city and what it means for all of our students. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. I can't wait to see what the future holds. Sarah Ranney of Lafayette Prep, thanks for coming on the Cool Schools podcast. Thanks so much for having me. It was really great to connect with you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Again, looking at Lafayette Prep as this kind of parent-centric, really working with parents. I don't envy Sarah and her team. Empowering parents with voice and with choice can sometimes be a headache for educators, I imagine, uh, as when you ask people for their opinions, they tend to give them to you. But I really appreciate that they put in the, the time and the effort and have the what must be difficult conversations at times to make sure that the schools reflect parent preferences. Really interesting conversation. I hope you all took away as much from it as I did. As always, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe to the podcast. Did I mention that you should subscribe to the podcast? Because you should totally subscribe to the podcast. You don't just get cool schools. It's like a it's like a twofer or a threefer or a fourfer here. We do the great school choice and pop culture podcast. We do state wrap-ups. We do researcher profiles. All of these things will happen when you subscribe via iTunes or Stitcher or whatever your podcast platform is. You can also sign up for EdChoice's email list. If you just go to edchoice.org, a little box, bubble, whatever you want to call it, pops up. You can put in your information and get information that's interesting to you if you're interested in school choice. And frankly, if you're still listening to the podcast at this point, you're basically the ideal audience that we're looking for. Um, So sign up and you won't regret it. As always, too. I'm on the lookout. I am on the prowl for new cool schools to profile. I hear about these schools via word of mouth. And so if you know of a cool school, please feel free to email me, call me, send a telegram. I mean, we probably have one of those things laying around here somewhere. But let me know about your cool school. I would love to profile it. So that's all for us today, but I look forward to chatting with you all again when I sit down with another talented educator and talk about their cool school.